welcome to Crossview Radio Weekly Podcast for Wayne County. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We exist to glorify God by exalting Christ and magnifying the gospel for the joy of all nations. You are guilty no matter what. If the woke movement has taught us anything, it has taught us that white people are guilty and black people are innocent. Guilt and innocence are assigned based on skin color, guilty until proven innocent. This view was recently demonstrated by Tim Keller, who said this in a roundtable discussion. He said, quote, A friend of mine recently, who is a pastor, was talking to a Norwegian man who had just moved into his community and went uh, to his church. And at one point, he heard the pastor talking about the fact that we're all complicit in creating this narrative that black people are dangerous and etc. And so we are implicit in this. Afterward, the white, the Norwegian man, came up and said, no, 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 I'm Norwegian. No, I had nothing to do with it. And my pastor friend said, studies have shown that have pretty much proven that if you have white skin, it's worth a million dollars over a lifetime over somebody who doesn't have white skin. And that's because of historical forces that have come about. And at this point, you can go at it several ways. One, as I've mentioned, if you have that asset of white skin right now, historical asset, then you actually have to say, I didn't deserve this. And also, to some degree, I'm the product of, I'm standing on the shoulders of other people who got that through injustice. So the Bible actually says, yes, you do. You are involved in injustice. And even if you didn't actually do it, therefore, you have a responsibility. Not just to say, well, maybe if I get around to it, maybe we can do something about the poor people out there. No, you're part of the problem, end quote. I want to draw your attention to Keller's statement uh, that is incredibly problematic. In fact, the whole quote here is incredibly problematic. But I want to draw our attention to one statement, and that is he says, if you are white, you are involved in injustice. Not only does he say that, but he says, the Bible actually says you are involved in injustice. And of course, I would like to ask for chapter and verse on this one. There are so many problems with this statement that I hardly know where to begin. Keller says that the system, because of past injustice, favors white skin, and therefore anyone who has white skin is automatically involved in injustice. Even if you came over on a boat from Norway this afternoon, you would still be involved in injustice. Even if it was just to hold children accountable for the sins of their fathers, which it's not, but even if it were just, it would certainly be unjust to hold someone else's children accountable. But that's exactly what Keller is proposing. How can you condemn an entire group of people as guilty based on nothing other than their skin color alone and claim that the Bible teaches it? If someone comes over from Norway to America, and if he experiences privilege, the biblical expectation is not to hold him accountable for injustice, not to guilt trip him, but to exhort him to steward that privilege. That's what the Bible gives us time and time again as examples. When someone has privilege, they are to steward it. First Timothy 6, 17 through 19 is just one example. Someone who is privileged by having riches. And the text says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, 
to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. Privileged people in the Bible are encouraged not to abandon their privilege, not to feel guilt for their privilege, but to steward it and to be generous with it, to be giving with it. But according to the modern woke movement, you are guilty until proven innocent. This is partly due to the modern obsession with being safe rather than sorry. An example of this is from The Coddling of the American Mind, where the authors note this. Around 2013, however, Greg began to notice a change. More students, this is on college campuses uh, in 2013, more students seemed to be in agreement with administrators that they were unsafe, that many aspects of students' lives needed to be carefully regulated by adults, and that it was far better to overreact to potential risks and threats than to underreact. In this way, campus administrators, usually with the best of intentions, were modeling distorted thinking. End quote. On the whole, it seems today that people would rather overreact than underreact. They would rather overreact and charge an innocent person as guilty. Nobody is given a chance uh, any longer to a fair trial. Now, of course, if a white man is guilty of ethnic partiality and commits a crime against a black man, that is, um, that, that, then the white man needs to be held accountable for that in the law courts and vice versa. In fact, skin color is really irrelevant because if any person commits a crime against another person, they need to be held accountable no matter what the skin colors are involved. But for crying out loud... After we see one shaky cell phone video, we're ready to pronounce guilt already. Let's give things a couple minutes to shake out. Jesus says in John 7, 24, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. Tim Keller ignores this and teaches that we ought to judge or hold a person guilty of injustice based on their skin color, even if they came over from Norway this afternoon. It's hard, and I mean really hard, to try to reason with someone who has already made up their mind that you are guilty. The author of the book uh, Idols for Destruction, which is a great book, by the way, says this, quote, If the madman is convinced there is a conspiracy against him, there is nothing you can say to dissuade him. All arguments are turned back as further evidence that the speaker is bound by the determining influence, end quote. Listen to that very carefully. He says that, um, you have this madman, and, and, and he's convinced there's a conspiracy against him. But he says all arguments that you give to him that there's not a conspiracy against him, he turns those back as further evidence that there is. Today, we call this the Kafka trap fallacy. Uh, the Kafka trap fallacy is a term that comes from a 1925 book called The Trial, and the fallacy is named after the author. Basically, uh, the, the, the man in the book is accused of certain crimes, and every time he gives a defense uh, that he's not guilty, um, that is said to be proof that he did the crime. And so he can't get anywhere because every time he offers evidence, it's like, oh, yes, of course, that would be something you would do if you were guilty. This is a fallacy, and it is destructive to meaningful conversation and logic. 
Of course, the textbook example of this today is the concept of white fragility. White fragility is the Kafka trap fallacy. Basically, what this means, what white fragility is, uh, is that anything you do or say is taken as evidence and proof that you are guilty. So white fragility is when someone accuses you of racism and you defend yourself. Oh, I didn't mean this. Or I didn't mean it. it wasn't that way or whatever. And, you, and then they say, aha, that's exactly what a guilty racist would say. No matter what you say then, according to white fragility and the Kafka trap fallacy, no matter what you say, you are always guilty. And every defense you give is further evidence that you are guilty. Again, to borrow from the book Idols for Destruction, quote, the great drama of the West in the modern era is its own guilt. Guilt is devouring the values of the West, and it is a tragedy to watch. People who reject the biblical doctrines of responsibility and sin do not thereby rid themselves of guilt, and so they feel guilty. They do, however, rid themselves of any way to handle their guilt, and that is why it breaks out so destructively. Responsibility denied is thrust on society anyway, but within the humanitarian context, there is no way for it to repent and mend its ways, end quote. Okay. So this is what he's saying. He's saying that guilt is destroying us, and people who reject the Bible still have guilt. But what they don't have is a way to deal with it. I talked about this further uh, in our podcast on atonement. But here's the angle that I want to take on this today. The Bible's remedy for guilt is grace. We know that because of the gospel. But I want to make the observation that the woke really don't like grace, They despise the Christian doctrine of free, sovereign grace. They want guilt. They want blood. Sinclair Ferguson made a similar point when he was discussing the story of the prodigal son. The older son in the story was the legalist. He was upset at the father because uh, the son was just welcomed home back like that. He just let the younger brother in. No penance, no anything. Kill the fattened calf. Celebrate the son coming home. Ferguson says this uh, about the older brother. He says, quote, What is particularly illuminating is that we are given the impression that only in the context of a lavish display of grace did the hidden poison of the elder brother's legalistic disposition fully manifest itself, end quote. Okay, this is absolute pure gold from Ferguson. In fact, let me say this one more time. Read this again. Because uh, th- this this is he he hits a nail on the head here. He says, "What is uh, this is talking about the story of the prodigal son, and the older son is upset with the father because the father freely forgives the younger son and gives him uh, a lavish display of grace, and he is bitter. This older son is bitter at the father for this. And here is what Ferguson says once again: What is particularly illuminating?" is that we are given the impression that only in the context of a lavish display of grace did the hidden poison of the elder brother's legalistic disposition fully manifest itself. Ferguson is saying that showing grace to someone is a litmus test. You show lavish grace, find out who gets mad, and then you know who all the legalists are in the room. And I have an example of this litmus test in action. On September 6, 2018, 
Amber, uh, police officer Amber Geiger shot and killed an unarmed black man in his apartment. She later says that she entered the wrong apartment by mistake and thought he was in her apartment. She says that she shot him out of self-defense. Now, whatever your opinion is on this case, and I'm not really interested in uh, talking about opinions on this case, what I, what I do want to observe is that all of us saw a remarkable display of Christian love when Brant Jean, the brother of the man who was murdered, forgave Amber. Perhaps you saw uh, a couple years ago the video where both Jean and the judge gave Amber a hug, and Brant actually encouraged Amber to give her life to Christ. Now, Christians rightly celebrated this act of grace and this act of forgiveness and pointed out how it modeled Christ's forgiveness of us. But not everyone was happy about it. Of the numerous responses, one individual suggested that this was simply just a coping mechanism on Brant's part. Bishop Talbert Swan posted screenshots of Brant Jean, of course, who's black, and the judge, who ironically was also black, hugging the white police officer. And he captioned the photos with these words. He simply wrote, post-traumatic slavery syndrome. What uh, Bishop Talbert Swan was arguing was that since Brandt was unable to retaliate against his oppressors, Brandt is living in this system where uh, he, he can't retaliate against Amber. There's nothing that he could do. His hands are tied, and he can't do anything to get back at her. So since he could not retaliate against his oppressors without facing consequences himself, he simply forgives. This is post-traumatic slavery syndrome, according to Bishop Swan, is that you can't fight the system. The system is rigged against you, and so what do you do to ha- simply have a cope with the situation is you simply forgive and move on. Bishop Talbert's response was, of course, not the only negative response. There were a lot. But what you have here is a, a clear example of Ferguson's litmus test in action. Who gets mad when someone shows grace? Those people, the mad people, those are the legalists. Those are the ones who can't forgive. Those are the ones who hate God's grace. They love to heap guilt and burdens on people, but hate to see them removed, especially by God. This exact point is made once again in the book Idols for Destruction. I want to remind you that this book was written in 1993, and I want to read to you the relevant section. Quote, social justice advocates are hostile toward Christianity precisely because the latter stands on grace, which the former hates. Christians taken in by the social justice argument have a social ethic at war with their deepest convictions and are therefore condemned to futility. Again, I read uh, Ferguson's quote twice. I'm going to have to read this one twice because this is just gold right here. Uh, The author says, quote, social justice advocates are hostile toward Christianity precisely because the latter, that is Christianity, stands on grace, which the former, the social justice advocates, hates. Christians, taken in by the social justice argument, have a social ethic 
at war with their deepest convictions and are therefore condemned to futility, end quote. In other words, the woke Christian is a contradiction in terms because the Christian believes in free grace, but the woke don't. You can't have your cake and eat it too. The bedrock values of social justice and Christianity could not be more diametrically opposed to one another. The grace and forgiveness of the gospel stands in stark contrast to the guilt and penance of the woke. Watch what happens when someone freely forgives an injustice, and you'll easily spot the difference between the two. Like the prodigal son's older brother, today's woke Pelagians prove their disdain for the gospel when they spurn the free grace of God. Perhaps the theological liberals are not as into grace as they made themselves out to be. For those who like to live without grace, keep in mind that among all the things you're doing, one of the things you're doing is making uh, making yourself an easy target for manipulation. Ayn Rand uh, once said this, of course, uh, she's the one who promoted uh, her doctrine of selfishness above all else. She said this, quote, There is no way to disarm any man except through guilt. If there's not enough guilt in the world, we must create it. If we teach a man that it's evil to look at spring flowers and he believes and then does it, we'll be able to do whatever we please with him. He won't defend himself. He won't feel he's worth it. He won't fight. But save us from the man who lives up to his own standards. Save us from the man of clean conscience. He's the man who will beat us, end quote. Weaponized guilt. It's effective. For Rand, the man with a guilty conscience is the one that you can do whatever you want with. He's easy to manipulate and control. Her enemy, then, is the man with a clean conscience. So, how do you become that enemy of Ayn Rand? How do you become the man who is hard to manipulate? How do you become the man who has a clean conscience? And of course, the answer is by looking to Christ. Hebrews 10, 19-23 reminds us of this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. How do we have a clean conscience? How do we find grace? How do we find forgiveness? It's in the gospel. It's in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Thanks for listening to Crossview Radio. I'm John Marino, pastor of Crossview Church in Orville. We meet Sundays at 10 a.m. To find out more about Crossview Church, visit us online at crossvieworville.com.